This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. You can find it on page 978 in the Bibles in your rows. It's also printed in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along as I read. Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Josh, one of the pastors here. Glad you could be with us uh, this morning. We are uh, continuing in a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and our aim is to press uh, deeper and deeper into the character of Jesus Christ. And the kind of snapshot we get of what that looks like is in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and then kindness. And that's where we are this morning. At a first glance, uh, kindness seems like maybe the most vanilla of all the fruit of the Spirit, right? If this was high school, love would be the popular kid, peace is the cool kid, joy would be the fun kid, and kindness is just kind of the wallflower who uh, hangs out in the background somewhere. Uh, I'll tell you, though, I, I'm persuaded more and more of how crucial kindness is. If there was ever a culture in need of kindness, then it's ours. In the ancient Near East, when a king would conquer a territory, when he wanted to demoralize and mock and utterly destroy the conquered peoples, the conquered nation, not only would they burn the villages and kill the people, they would salt the ground. Judges chapter 9 is an example of this. Judges 9 verse 45, it says, Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city, killed the people who were in it. He raised the city, and he sowed the ground with salt. Sowed it with salt. When you do that, it extends the devastation because vegetation can't grow. It poisons the soil, makes the whole land toxic, so no blooming, no life, no harvest, total destruction. And isn't that an analogy in some way for our culture today? We've seen the exponential increase of hostility and animosity and bitterness, even after, after tragedies, shootings, racial incidents, or the pandemic, where you'd think it would be an opportunity for people to pull together. Instead, the dissensions and divisions are even more magnified. How easy it is to quarrel and slander and revile, even within the church. Shelley Turkle 
professor at MIT, says that social media has amplified all of this. It didn't necessarily create all those conditions, but it amplifies this because uh, what social media does is create spaces that reward malice, reward bullying and shaming, reviling and canceling. She says our ability to be in proximity to or even talk to face-to-face with people we don't agree with has altogether withered. Culture of toxicity, the salted earth, It's into this kind of place, into this kind of moment, that kindness can be an incredible gift, a healing balm. I read, uh, reread The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe last month. Uh, Not with my kids or anything, just on my own. And uh, there's a scene in the book where Father Christmas is giving out gifts to the Pevensey children, these children who, from London, who found their way into Narnia. Each of the gifts is special. Each of them has a, a unique purpose. Peter receives a sword and a shield, which is important for the battle that he has to fight against the white witch and her armies. Susan gets a bow and arrows and also a a horn that when she uses it in the most desperate moments, it will bring help, particularly Aslan will hear. But then Lucy gets this tiny little bottle. And at first it seems like she's got the lamest of all the gifts by comparison. Until Father Christmas explains, if you or your friends are hurt, A few drops from the bottle will restore them. The contents will bring healing to those in need. Kindness is like that. It's not flashy. It's not sexy. It's not going to garner any clicks for you on social media. But kindness can bring healing to you and to others. And when there's a community that begins to have kindness as a hallmark of its life together, when that wells up, it can spill over and bring healing to the neighborhood and to the city. And so let's talk about kindness this morning as an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about it in three ways. We'll talk about what it is, what kindness is, where it comes from, and then finally, what does it look like in real life? What does it look like in practice? All right, so first let's talk about what it is. What is kindness? Gordon Fee defines kindness as active goodness on the behalf of others. Kindness is active goodness on the behalf of others. Lewis Meads calls kindness love's readiness to enhance the life of another person. I want you to note that in both of these definitions, it captures the idea that kindness is something active. Right? It's something active. It's not just good vibes or warm feelings, but kindness translates into action on behalf of another. The Apostle John says something similar. 1 John 3.18 Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now words are important, and we're going to talk about the importance of kind words in the last point. But kindness can never be mere Words. Real love always takes active form. Kindness is active goodness on the behalf of others. And this means then that as Christians, we cannot be satisfied just to get our doctrine right. Right? That can't be the sole task of the church when thinking about purity. It can't be just getting our doctrine right to be orthodox, as important as that is. We must be equally concerned for orthopraxy. That is how we live out and embody the right doctrine. And that involves kindness. When Jesus was asked what it means to love your neighbor, he told a story in Luke chapter 10. Once upon a time, 
There was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the man gets attacked on the road. He's violently robbed. He's left for dead. A priest sees him and passes by on the other side of the road. Same thing with a Levite. Don't want to get involved. Can't get myself connected to this. But then a Samaritan, and this is a cross-cultural example, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. The Samaritan sees the Jewish man in trouble and he does what he can to help. He binds up his wounds. He gets him to an inn. He pays the bill. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of the story, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Paul's famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love is kind. Without kindness, there is no no love, not in the biblical sense. Love is kind. Commenting on that verse, Jonathan Edwards says, don't make excuses. If your heart is full of love, it will find vents. You will find ways to express your love in deeds. When a fountain abounds in water, it will send forth streams. And look, there are lots of ways for streams of kindness to flow outward from you. In our city, lots of ways to show practical kindness, lots of ways to show active love as you serve. Our partner ministries at New City are just some of these opportunities. WizKids or City Gospel Mission or Aruna or Young Lives or CityLink or Life Forward or Back to Back Cincinnati, Lydia's House, and there's so many more. Here just at New City, there's so many ways to serve. ESOL, serving uh, with New City Kids as we heard about earlier. You can pray for students and learn more about how to build into teenagers. You can open your home and host a group. You can care for others. You don't need permission for most of these things, right? You can care for others by seeing a need and trying to move toward it by making people meals, showing up for a visit, showing up for somebody that you know is lonely or hurting, reaching out to a neighbor. Kindness sees a need. And like the Good Samaritan, tries to help. If your heart is full of love, it will find vent. Which streams of kindness are flowing from your life to people in need. Remember, kindness is active goodness on the behalf of others. But then secondly, where where does kindness come from? And if you've been coming to New City for a while, you probably know what I'm going to say next. Kindness comes from God. Kindness comes from God. Psalm 63, King David is declaring that his soul is thirsty for God like a dying man. In a dry desert. And then he says, Thy loving kindness is better than life. Psalm 63.3 Thy loving kindness is better than life. That's the old King James translation for God's steadfast love. God's covenant love. And loving kindness is a good way to translate it. Through the Old Testament, it's the loving kindness of God that is the cause of salvation. It's what moves God to come to His people to answer their prayers, to hear their cries, to save them and redeem them. And David says to know the kindness of God is better than life itself. The New Testament speaks in similar terms, putting the kindness of God front and center in salvation. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says God's kindness leads us to repentance. God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 11, verse 22, it's because of God's kindness that the gospel is preached to the nations, that the gospel goes out. It's God's kindness that drives the Great Commission. 
with the kindness of God is no more clearly seen than in the mission of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3, Paul writes, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. The best way to know about the kindness or about kindness in general is to look at Jesus. The whole scope of Jesus' mission is one of kindness, active goodness on behalf of others. He leaves heaven. He comes to earth to identify with His people. He goes all the way to the cross to pay for our sins. You might say that Jesus' mission is based on kindness. That's sort of seen it at a macro level, but you can also see the kindness of God in individual episodes in the life of Jesus as well. Christopher Wright I has a little book on the fruit of the Spirit. And when he's talking about kindness, he's talking about Jesus' kindness. He talks about a friend of his who's beginning to write a book on Jesus. And the friend is calling the book about Jesus and the Gospels a theology of interruptions. I think that's really good. A theology of interruptions. Because so many of the things that Jesus said or did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John happened because someone interrupted him when he was going somewhere else, when he was doing something else. And and yet Jesus responded to these interruptions, not with irritation, not with dismissal, but with kindness and warmth. And in many cases, he shows kindness to those the rest of society shunned and rejected and wishes would sort of disappear. Consider just a couple of these examples. The hemorrhaging woman, the bleeding woman, She stops Jesus when he's on the way to an emergency. You'd expect him to brush her off, to push on past. Instead, he engages her. He draws her out. Or when parents are flocking to Jesus with their children, the disciples are frustrated by this. He has more important things to do, but Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me. Or blind Bartimaeus keeps shouting over the crowd for Jesus. It's rude almost. Jesus stops and heals him. Or think of the Syrophoenician woman who won't take no for an answer. And Jesus commends her for her persistence. Or the woman who barges in and disturbs a meal, anoints his feet, scandalizes the host. Jesus gives her his attention, gives her his blessing, gives her his mercy. And even in his agony on the cross, Jesus is thinking of the needs of his mother He says to John, behold, your mother. He's telling John to care for her. And I'll say for my own part, my struggle with kindness most of the time isn't so much because I have a tendency to be cruel or harsh or mean, although I think we can all go there sometimes too. But more often, my tendency to unkindness is manifest in that I don't want to be interrupted. I've got work to get done. I've got things to do. I've got a schedule to keep, and time is precious. So maybe if you're like me, our tendency to unkindness is an unwillingness to be interrupted, an inflexibility to look around and see who God has put around you, who's in need, who are the people that God has brought across our path. And I think in growing in kindness, I need to heed the words of Henry Nouwen. Listen to what he says. He says, I wonder more and more If the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories and to tell our own, 
and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but that you love them. And when we look at the ministry of Jesus, when you read the Bible, yes, there are healings. Certainly there's unparalleled wisdom and authority in his teaching. But the more that I read the Gospels, you know the thing that stands out to me more than anything else is the kindness of Jesus. A kindness that dignifies people. A kindness that blesses others. Who needs your kindness? Who in your life needs your attention? Maybe even this week. This month. Who needs to be dignified with a kind word? Who needs an invite to lunch or to dinner? Which brings us to our last point. What does it look like to begin to embody this? If we cultivate kindness in our life together and in our lives as individuals, what does it look like to have the fruit of kindness growing in us? What will this look like in our life together? Five things, and we'll go pretty quickly. But the first thing is to be kind, and here we're getting back to Ephesians 4. To be kind is to be truthful. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. You ought to speak the truth, Paul says, with everybody. Neighbors, friends, co-workers. But Paul says this is especially true within the church. Why? Because we're members of one another. When your body lies to itself, right, you have problems, right? That's usually a pretty disastrous medical situation. If your immune system, for example, begins to attack healthy cells, you get very, very sick. It's destructive for your body to be miscommunicating with itself. And so it is in the body of Christ. A community is built on trust and truth-telling. And Paul says if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you are thereby connected to each other as well. You're part of the body of Christ. You're members of one another. And so a lie then to somebody else is actually a form of self-deception. We're lying to another part of the body. It's self-defeating. And so Paul says, put away falsehood. Church should be known as a community of honest, reliable people whose word can be trusted. Practically, that means what? Be, be true to your word. When you commit to something, follow through. It means honesty. It means transparency. It means vulnerability. Not hiding. It's really going on in your life. It also means speaking the truth to each other. A willingness to say hard things when they need to be said. The book of Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But Paul would add, right? Kindness speaks the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth always. Speak the truth in love. And Dallas Willard said something that sort of rings around in my head all the time. He said, one of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. You hear what he's saying? It's possible to be wrong even when you're right. It's possible to be wrong even when you have the truth. Because we have to speak the truth in love. Jesus always told the truth, which meant hard words sometimes, which meant challenging words sometimes, but he always did so in love with the aim of building up, not tearing down. Which leads to the second 
point, right? To be kind is to be truthful, but secondly, to be kind is to be edifying. Verse 29, Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, first the negative, all right? What not to do. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. The word corrupting there, it's the Greek word sapros. It means rotting. It's the word you would use for uh, rotting food, food that's spoiled, things that have gone bad. We used to have three apple trees in my front yard growing up. My least favorite chore was to clean up the apples after they had already fallen down. Or if we didn't get them in time, didn't use them in a pie, or just didn't get rid of them in time, they'd fall on the ground and they'd start to sink into the soil and they'd get soft and mushy and they'd have worms and they'd smell gross. And sometimes we'd be playing touch football in the front yard and we'd slip and fall on these things, right? Just gross, disgusting. It's a kind of unkind speech that's like that, Paul says, rotten, corrupting, decaying, might as well have worms in it. Right? There's words that can decay a community. Verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, anything that isn't aimed at building up has a decaying effect, a tearing down. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Think about that image for a second. Right, if you put a sword into somebody, you can pull the sword back out, but you can't pull the wound out, can you? And even if they survive, they have the wounds, they have the scars, maybe for life. The writer of Proverbs would say, so it is with your words. A harsh word, an angry word, even if you take it back right away, the damage is done. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. The scars often remain. So take care, right? The book of Proverbs would say, take care not to destroy or to tear down with your words. Verse 30 of Ephesians 4, Paul says, you know what? It's actually possible for you to grieve the Holy Spirit with your unkindness to others. Why would we grieve the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit's job, what's the Holy Spirit doing? Building up the church. And when you're tearing people down, you're actually working cross purposes with God. And friends, that's not a good place to be. Unkind words can do great harm. Reckless words pierce like the sword. But the reverse is also true. Right? The tongue of the wise brings healing. Kindness can bring life and comfort and healing. Like Lucy's little bottle, right? Verse 29, you can speak words that can build others up. You can give grace to those who hear, Paul says. Larry Crabb is a counselor, therapist, and he tells a story of growing up with a um, severe stuttering problem. And he had given a presentation or maybe it was a performance of some kind in school and just had a, just an awful experience, right? Uh, everybody laughed at him. He was mortified. And he thought to himself, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going to stand up. I'm never going to speak in front of people again. But then one Sunday at his church, there was an open season of prayer, and he just felt moved. They wanted to pray. And so bravely he did, but he got anxious as he was doing it. Again, because of this previous experience, he got anxious. He was stuttering. He was confusing what he was trying to say. The prayer, he said, made no sense at all. 
Once again, he was mortified by this. And afterwards, an older gentleman came up to him and he just thought, oh no, he's going to tell me all the things I said wrong. He's going to tell me all that I did wrong. The man said, Larry, there's one thing I want you to know. Whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you 1,000%. And then he just walked away. Larry Crabb said, even as I write these words, my eyes fill with tears. Because those were words of life to me, he said. They had power. They reached deep within me. And they brought healing. To be kind is to be truthful. To be kind is to be edifying. Thirdly, to be kind is to be tender-hearted. Verse 32, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. There's a line that's sometimes attributed to Plato, which says, be kind because everybody you meet is fighting a hidden battle. Be kind because everybody you meet is fighting a hidden battle. In other words, kindness is no small thing because we're all in the middle of a battle and many of us are wounded. Even this morning in this room, many of us are wounded or we feel stuck or we're weary or we're ready to give up. And the words that you speak to each other can be liberating. Have you ever thought about what the word encouragement actually means? The etymology of the word? You know what encouragement means? It means to pour courage into somebody. Isn't that an amazing thought? That you have the power to do that? You can pour courage into other people with your kindness, the way that you speak to them, the way that you care for them. No one modeled tenderhearted kindness more than Jesus Christ. He was always moving toward those who were struggling or hurting, the poor, the marginalized, the outcast. And you know what Isaiah says of him? Isaiah 42, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. A bruised reed, right? Just barely hanging on. Jesus takes care, if that's you. A faintly burning wick is about to be snuffed out. Jesus takes care. He's careful. He's tender-hearted. I hope that you know that about him. And I hope that you want to be like him in that respect. As you're kind toward other people. To be kind is to be truthful, to be edifying, to be tender-hearted, to be kind is, fourthly, to be generous. In the book of Proverbs, kindness is often linked with generosity. I just put a few of those verses there. But Tim Keller says, he says, commenting on generosity in the, in the book of Proverbs, he says, the opposite of kindness is miserliness. The opposite of kindness is is miserliness. You know what a miser is? A miser is somebody who hoards. Somebody who holds tightly to things while other people are in need. And interestingly, the word miser shares the same root as the word miserable, which is what you become after a while if you're a miser, and what you make everybody else around you if you're a miser. Conversely, Jesus says, right, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Not only are you blessing others, but you're blessed because you're made for generosity. All of us were to utilize what we have to meet the needs of others, to be a blessing to other people like the Good Samaritan. Kindness requires generosity. This means money, yes, but it doesn't only mean money. The generosity of your time as you're willing to be interrupted, as you're willing to be present to others, to pour yourself out, to serve, to listen, to hear. 
Generosity of your table? Who do you need to connect with? What boundaries can you break down? What relationships could be healed or deepened over a meal? Generosity of your gifts and your talents as you put them to use for others? Active goodness on behalf of others. To be kind is to be generous. And then lastly, to be kind is to be forgiving. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And we talked about forgiveness a lot last week as we talked about patience, right? Be patient with other people. If we're going to cultivate patience in our life, well, it means we're going to need to be forgiving of others, realizing they're in process, realize God's not done with them just as he's not done with us. So we need patience, we need forgiveness. But I also want you to note here, just from this verse, verse 32 of chapter 4, that you can't give away what you don't have. And so if you're going to grow in kindness, if you're going to forgive others, you need to meditate on the surpassing kindness of God to you. Forgive one another, Paul says, as God in Christ forgave you. And how has God been kind to you? He's shown us kindness to you in Jesus Christ. We need to think on this, right? Jesus who deserved to be treated with kindness and respect, but instead of being welcomed, the city over which he wept tears of compassion cried out instead with murder and hostility. Crucify him. Crucify him, they said. Jesus deserved the kindness of loyalty, and instead his friends left him alone in the garden as he wept. They deserted him, denied him. Another one betrayed him. Jesus deserved the kindness of fair treatment. Instead, the authorities conducted a kangaroo court. They flogged him and mocked him and insulted him and beat him and eventually crucified him. And do you remember what he called out from the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Has there been any greater act of kindness than that? And he calls out that same thing for your forgiveness too. The fruit of kindness will grow in you as you meditate on the kindness of Jesus to you. We have to be done here. But let me just close by saying this one last thing. Um, Tertullian, one of the church fathers, first couple centuries of the church, he uh, tells that in the early days of the Christian church, Romans and sort of the Greco-Roman world, the pagans around, they sometimes called Christians Christiani uh, rather than Christiani. And he said, you know, this might have been a confusion of words. Christianity means Christian or Christ followers. But he said it would be a, a name, Christiani, that Christians should be happy to be identified with, uh, with as well because Christiani comes from the word for kindness, the kindness people. And he said that very often, even when people didn't understand all that Jesus was about, early Christians were known as people of kindness, and the kindness that they were able to display ultimately pointed others to the kindness of Jesus. Wouldn't it be incredible if that's what Christians were still known for today? A supernatural kindness in a cruel world. It happened before. And it changed the world. It could happen again. And Paul exhorts us to it here. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing and come together.
to the supper. But let's pray. Lord, we're learning that kindness is not a slender virtue. It's not a vanilla add-on to the fruit of the Spirit. But this is a high calling and an important one because it has tremendous effect when we begin to embody it. And so we ask that you would teach us more and more about the sacrificial loving kindness of Jesus Christ. And you show us even more the ways that you've been kind to us as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would soften our hearts. And would you begin to cultivate within us a kindness that we can go out into the world with for others. Would you birth this in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.